But that upon good ground, these are they who having, with a right and good heart, having heard the word, hold it fast and bear fruit in patience. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we've been looking at marriage. Seeing the marriage is a contract that results in a relationship. We saw that the marriage contract is very specific. That a man and a woman give and accept a perpetual and exclusive right for acts which are of themselves suitable for the generation of children. We've seen that God attaches a consequence to making this contract. If the man and the woman validly make the contract, then the two become more closely related to each other than a father is to his own son or that a brother is to his sister. And that relationship is made directly by God. This relationship is perpetual. That means it lasts till death. It's exclusive, which means that only that man and only that woman are involved and no one else, and it's limited, which means that the couple only has the right for acts which are themselves suitable for the generation of children. By entering into marriage, God gives each spouse rights, which means that the other spouse has a corresponding duty to accept a reasonable request. Last year we reviewed this. We saw that it's a serious duty. We saw that it's owed injustice to their spouse and it must be paid generously or it's not being paid at all. We've seen that precisely because it's a serious duty to refuse to pay the debt without a serious reason is a mortal sin against justice and it's also a mortal sin against charity. Now let's briefly remind ourselves of exactly what the purpose of marriage is. God created marriage for two specific purposes. The primary purpose of marriage is the procreation and education of children. That's the primary purpose of marriage, the procreation and education of children. There are two aspects to the secondary purpose of marriage. It's mutual help and a remedy. Take a quick look at each. First, mutual help and comfort. God intends that man and wife help each other, not simply in household chores and training the children, but especially by mutual love and care for each other. The remedy. Since the fall, marriage is also a remedy for concupiscence. What that means is that one of the purposes of marriage is the legitimate quieting of the passions, but that's not simply concerned with the passions. It's also meant to express the love and intensify the union of the two personalities of the man and wife. So God created marriage with two specific purposes. The primary purpose of marriage is the procreation and education of children. And the secondary purpose of marriage is the mutual help and comfort of the spouses and the remedy for concupiscence. We need to clearly understand these things in the first place so that we can live according to the gospel, but in the second place so that we can clearly explain and affect to correct God-given notion of marriage to those folks that the good Lord has placed in our life. All this chaos and confusion is coming to a head. We're going to have to start paying the price for more than 40 years of cowardly silence for most of the pulpits and most of the chanceries in these United States. It's a cowardly silence. And that's the most charitable thing one could say about it. A cowardly silence, a failure to explain to the faithful the sometimes painful truths about marriage and divorce 
and contraception and sterilization and perversion. It's cowardly silence, as if there's no hell. As if there's no hell. As if there's no hell for the people that don't follow the church's teaching these matters or for the priests and bishops that don't warn them. We need to pray that this cowardly silence will end, finally. And our bishops and priests who have inherited this mess will somewhere find the courage, somewhere find the fortitude to speak out. In the first place, against the contraceptive imperialism of our government, but more importantly and more especially against the sins of divorce, contraception, sterilization, perversion in our own ranks, which has led us to this state. There's been a cowardly silence. And it's time to pay the fiddler. We need to pray. Pray for fatherhood, because that's what we're missing in the church. Fatherhood. That's what this crisis is, is a lack of fatherhood. Before we go on, there's a quote from Cardinal George that's worth pondering. Cardinal George, quote, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. Close quote. I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. That's what Cardinal George said. I think Cardinal George is an optimist. We looked at contraception last time. Today we're going to consider a distorted notion, sometimes associated with a practice which is properly called periodic continence, practice which involves periodically abstaining from marital rights. This practice, periodic continence, is popularly known as NFP, or natural family planning. A perfect example of the distorted notion can be found in an article entitled Small, Medium, Large, Extra Large, What Size is Right for Your Family? The author, a certain Mr. Gregory Popchek, who seems to be a devout Catholic, starts by asking, quote, Is God calling you to have another child or not? The church, in her wisdom, does not give a pat answer to this question, but she does give some very simple, practical advice for couples who are sincerely seeking the Lord's will about this, and some of her tips may surprise you. Close quote. Well, that's fair enough. Now consider the tip we find in the article. Quote, the best way to actively discern this question, that's the question about having another child, the best way to actively discern this question on an ongoing basis is to practice NFP. Close quote. So what's he saying here? He's saying that if a couple is wondering whether God wants them to have another child, the best church-approved method to answer this question is to practice periodic continence, or NFP. Well, he warned us that some of his tips might surprise us, and that one should surprise us a lot, because it's completely wrong. It's wrong. Let's see why. We'll refer to a 1997 article from the Vatican newspaper, Observatorio Romano, in order to see what's wrong here. The article's title will give us a clue. Quote, Serious motives 
justify couples' use of periodic continence, close quote. Serious motives justify couples' use of periodic continence. The article cites Pope Pius XII, Pope Paul VI, and Blessed John Paul II, because his answers are so detailed, we rely largely on the explanation of the Venerable Pius XII. Let's make sure, before we turn to the Pope, that we understand the Pope is not making up any of the rules here. He actually doesn't have that kind of authority. God hasn't given anyone authority over the nature of marriage or its rules. Not the couple, certainly not the state or these tin-horned judges, not the church, or even the Pope. God hasn't given that authority to anyone. So what is the Pope doing here? The Pope is explaining the rules, not making the rules. He's explaining how God made things. In fact, everything we're going to hear from the Holy Father can be reasoned out from what we already know about marriage, the marriage contract, and the purpose of marriage. Now, as usual, the cuts will be cut, pasted, and edited for clarity. First point, Pope Pius XII, quote, The moral lawfulness of practicing periodic continence should be determined by whether or not the couple's intention is based on sufficient and worthy moral grounds. The mere fact that the husband and wife do not offend the nature of the act and are even ready to accept and bring up the child who is born in spite of the precautions they have taken would not of itself alone be a sufficient guarantee of a right intention and of the unquestionable morality of the motives themselves. Close quote the Vicar of Christ. The mere fact that the husband and wife do not offend the nature of the act and are even ready to accept and bring up the child who is born in spite of the precautions they have taken would not of itself alone be a sufficient guarantee of a right intention and of the unquestionable morality of the motives themselves. So the first point is that there must be sufficient and worthy reasons to practice periodic continence, NFP. We're going to get to those reasons in a moment. But before we do, in the second point, the Pope is going to explain why this is true. Second point. Okay, now the Pope explains why there must be sufficient and worthy reasons. Notice that the Pope's explanation is based on the marriage contract, which confers rights upon the couple, and also on the primary purpose of marriage, which is a corresponding duty of the couple. Pius XII, quote, The marriage contract, which gives the spouses the right to satisfy the inclinations of nature, established them in the married state. The married couple who use that state by carrying out its specific act have the duty imposed by both nature and God of providing for the conservation of the human race. The existence of the individual and the society, the people and the state, and even the church herself depends upon fruitful marriages. Therefore, to be married and make frequent use of the right proper and lawful only in the state of marriage, and at the same time to avoid its primary duty without a grave reason, would be a sin against the very nature of married life. Close quote the vicar of Christ. To be married and make frequent use of the right proper and lawful only in the state of marriage 
at the same time to avoid its primary duty without a grave reason would be a sin against the very nature of married life. What did the Pope just say? That the marriage contract gives the spouses the right to the marital act, and the use of that right implies a corresponding duty, which is procreation. Why? In order to conserve the human race, which is the primary purpose of marriage. Furthermore, the Pope notes that without serious reasons, it is a sin to frequently exercise a marital right while avoiding the marital duty. We're already familiar with this concept. It's our duty to go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Without, if we, without serious oblig- reasons, if we miss Mass on those days, we sin. But if we do have serious reasons to miss Mass, then it's no sin at all. Okay, It's exactly the same concept here. Pope makes this clear, Pius XII. If there are serious reasons, limiting the act to infertile periods can be lawful. If, however, in the light of a reasonable and fair judgment, there are no such serious reasons, then the habitual intention to avoid pregnancy will at the same time, as far as possible, continuing to fully satisfy sensual desires, can only arise from a false appreciation of life and from reasons that have nothing to do with true standards of moral conduct. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. So when serious reasons are present, periodic continence, or NFP, is lawful. But if there are no serious reasons, then the habitual intention to avoid pregnancy will at the same time, as far as possible, continue to fully satisfy sensual desires arises from a false appreciation of life and from false standards of moral conduct. Now the fundamental error in Mr. Popchek's reasoning is in clear focus. By promoting the idea that the couple should continually practice periodic continence as a means of discerning whether or not to have another child, he's basically completely flipped the primary and secondary purposes of marriage, as if the primary purpose of marriage is the mutual help and comfort of spouses and the remedy for concupiscence, and as if the secondary purpose of marriage is the procreation and the education of children. Third point. Now that the Pope has explained why a couple has to have sufficient and worthy reasons to practice NFP, periodic continence, now he's going to explain what those reasons are. Pope Pius XII, quote, Serious motives often put forward on medical, eugenic, economic, and social grounds can exempt husband and wife from the obligatory positive debt of the procreation of children for a long period or even for the entire duration of the marriage. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. The Pope is pointing out, as long as a serious reason is present, the couple may legitimately be exempted from procreation, even for the duration of the marriage. Later, he points out that the couple may morally avoid procreation in one of two ways, periodic continence or total abstinence. It's important to realize that serious doesn't mean life-threatening. It must be serious. It's like we we have to have serious reasons to miss Mass on Sunday. It's the same idea in this case. So what are serious reasons? We'll give some typical examples. Medical. Serious real and objective dangers to the physical or even psychological health of one or both partners, usually the woman. Eugenic. Real possibility of serious incurable hereditary defects in the child. This may last for the duration of the marriage or it may be for a period of time For example, when a woman must undergo medical treatment with certain types of drugs that will cause birth defects. Economic. 
This refers to true financial hardship. True financial hardship. In such a profoundly materialistic society as ours, this one requires brutal honesty before God. All too often in our culture, we see the trappings of life placed ahead of life itself. Social grounds. This would include problems in the social order, like the tyrannical Chinese uh, one-child policy, or natural disasters like floods, fires, uh, wars, and so forth. So there may be serious medical, eugenic, economic, or social reasons to practice periodic continence. Now, besides a serious reason, there are a few additional conditions which also must be present in order to lawfully practice periodic continence. NFP. These are really easy to understand since they flow from the marriage debt and they're rooted in the marriage contract and the purpose of marriage. First, the agreement to practice periodic continence must be truly mutual and freely agreed upon by both spouses. And although agreement must be made by both spouses together, it can be terminated by either one alone. Although the agreement must be made by most spouses together, it may be terminated by either one alone. As the Pope states, quote, This is because the right deriving from the marriage contract is a constant right, uninterrupted and not intermittent, of each of the partners in respect of the other. Close quote. We've already seen this when we talked about the marriage debt. Second, there must be a reasonable assurance this practice will not lead either of the spouses into sin. The more probable the danger of serious sin, the more serious the reason must be for practicing periodic continence. So in order for periodic continence and a legitimate, it must be mutually and freely agreed to by both spouses with the provision that either spouse can cancel it any time by making a reasonable request to honor the debt. And there must be a reasonable assurance this practice will not result in serious sin for either of the spouses. Let's review. We've seen if there are serious reasons a couple may legitimately practice periodic continence, NFP. We've seen these serious reasons include serious and objective medical conditions uh, with the parent, the real likelihood of serious birth defects in the child, true conditions of financial burden, disturbances in the social order like war or famine. We've seen that this practice must be mutually and freely agreed to by both spouses with the provision that either spouse can cancel at any time with a reasonable request. And we've seen there must be reasonable assurance this practice will not result in serious sin for either of the spouses. Now, it's easy to see that the idea that NFP should be constantly used without serious reasons is actually an abuse. Are we saying, then, that NFP is comparable with the evils of contraception? No. Because direct contraception and direct sterilization are intrinsically evil. And this is not. They're intrinsically evil, which means they're never permitted. Direct contraception, direct sterilization can never, either of those, can never be permitted under any circumstances, whatever. But this can be, okay? All right, if it's not intrinsically evil, then, are we saying that the pop check error is trivial? No, we're not. Not at all. Let's be clear. If we don't follow God's rules, NFP can lead to the loss of souls, not just in hell. What do you mean, Father? The loss of souls and not just in hell. Well, that's a good question. Let's just pick a big family number, say the number 10. Imagine a situation 
we have someone whose uh, father is the son of a tenth child, their mother is the daughter of a tenth child, and they're the, the child of a tenth child. So dad's the son of a tenth child, the mom's the daughter of a tenth child, he's the son of a tenth child. With that kind of combination, if any of his immediate ancestors had continually practiced NFP, it's safe to say he wouldn't have come into existence. His soul would have been lost in the sense it would have never come to be. It's pretty easy to see that. But I think everybody here would agree that if we asked that person, he'd be the first one to tell us that he was very thankful to exist. That he was thankful that his ancestors, at least, were generous in doing their duty before God, and he was thankful to have a shot at heaven. I think everybody would agree with that. We can ask him. Hey, Father, are you thankful you exist? Hey, Father, are you thankful your ancestors were generous in doing their duty before God? Hey, Father, are you thankful that you at least have a shot at heaven? See, I'm the son of a tenth child. Until this summer, I thought my mom was the daughter of a tenth child. Turns out she's a daughter of an eleventh child. My dad's the son of a tenth child. He's the grandson of a nineteenth child. So to answer the question, yes, I'm very thankful to be here. I'm mighty thankful to be here. See, this stuff isn't just theoretical. Guys like Popchek can write articles. But there's a face on these people. I'm not descended from rich, powerful people that lived in big mansions. I'm descended from the poor. If any of my ancestors for the past 150 years had been practicing this Popchek theory instead of embracing the cross in their state of life, I wouldn't be your priest. I wouldn't be in existence. At least four generations of my family wouldn't be in existence. And there were a lot of vocations in those generations. This stuff isn't just theoretical. Let's close with some reflections from Pope Pius XII. Quote, One of the fundamental demands of the true moral order is that to the use of the marriage rights, there corresponds sincere internal acceptance of the functions and duties of motherhood. It is urgent to maintain, reawake, and stimulate the sense and love of the function of motherhood. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. He's saying this generations ago. It is urgent to maintain, reawake, and stimulate the sense and love of the function of motherhood. One of the fundamental demands, the true moral order, is that to the use of the marriage rights, there corresponds the sincere internal acceptance of the functions and duties of motherhood. The duties of motherhood. That's what matrimony means. Matrimony comes from the Latin phrase matris munis, which means the duty of motherhood. 
Have you ever noticed there's two times we all genuflect at Mass? During the Creed and the last Gospel. Why are we genuflecting? Because a woman, the perfect woman, said yes to her duties of motherhood. Pope Pius XII, quote, At the moment she understood the angel's message, the Virgin Mary cried, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. A burning yes to the call to motherhood. Close quote. The Virgin Mary gave a burning yes to the call to motherhood. A burning yes. Let's kneel down and ask our Blessed Mother to awake and stimulate the sense and love of the function of motherhood both here and throughout the whole world. And to grant that more couples will have the grace to say a burning yes to the call to motherhood. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.